1: You're listening to the best of Kevin and query on 935 and 1075, the fan. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 935 and 1075, the fan. Was Luca Pizza bought out by the Sabaro folk? Sabaro? Sabaro, whatever it's called. Sparrow. Huh? Sparrow. There's no P in there. It's not Sabaro. It's it's boy, firing on the old Yeah
2: pronunciation guide right. here.
3: Yeah. it's Sparrow.
4: The meeting is until three, but I always like to come to New York a little bit early and hit some of my favorite haunts, like right here is my favorite New York pizza joint. And I'm going to go get me a New York size.
2: We're from Indiana. Uh, we can say B. whatever. It's not Sbarrow. I know there's no A.
1: You say there's no P. There's no A in the front of the Correct. P Correct, but with the B, there's definitely a B. Sparrow. Sparrow, right? But, but, but it's so not a borrow. Out, it's a beast. Yeah, see? See? So borrow. See? It's OBO. Can we get a commercial from them and find out? Oh, yeah, let me get right on it. I oh, play like other commercials like today, my boy. Some great robot voice actors. I bet they advertise in Jersey or something, right? Hey, get some <laughs> spa, baby, <laughs> Your mother. Sabarro. Aren't you glad you came back? Oh, man. I can't wait. Which, which of the two of us is in the last year has been to the old country?
2: I don't know. Was that you? Well, uh, Mark, did you not do the Around the World? Yeah, I did. around. There? I was going <laughs> to say. Disney?
1: I, I definitely had some spaghetti at Epcot. <laughs> okay. That does qualify. That's better, actually, than the margarita pizza that I had in Florence.
2: Now you guys are right. talking about this. I'm like, should I go to Vizzoli's today for lunch? Get the breadsticks? Yeah, breadsticks really? unlimited.
1: Really uh, bring out the old country <laughs> go to Vizzoli's.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> now, Mark, you hate to admit that via twitter our friends at sabaro mm-hmm. settled the debate didn't they, they did yeah and what did they say uh they tweeted at us mm-hmm. and said
2: uh that one is easy we get that asked probably two to three times a month the family's last name is s-b-a-r-o pronounced sabaro uh-huh. some people elongate the s and make it sabaro but no the su gets truncated by the bar it might look sound like sparrow
1: it doesn't say that that last part you made up
2: I'm literally reading it word for word. That last part you made up.
1: Okay. Uh, good morning to you, by the way. We're, we're
2: going to have their social media intern on later today <laughs> to discuss this. We're bumping Tucker Barnhart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rep. Uh-huh.
1: 14 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock, mercifully. It is Jake Query and Kevin Bunn along with Mark Dykedon. It's a good looking morning out on Monument Circle. How are you on a Tuesday? Kevin, we were talking earlier about the i i feel like i'm just now like i've now taken my shower right like i'm logged into the computer everything's good we can do an actual legitimate professional broadcast show here um the nfl owners meetings you have attended these back when you were an employee of the colts correct correct yep mm-hmm. i I think that there is the and when i ask this 30 percent of people in their car right now driving to work are going to go this guy is a total idiot and the other 70% are going to say, I'm glad somebody asked it. What exactly takes place at the owner meetings? Because it feels like this happens. It seems like we're in owners meetings every six weeks. Yeah,
2: these are the annual meetings. So this is where GMs and head coaches join the ownership at these meetings. So it's a lot of league-wide assessment from the previous year. So you look into numbers from you know, revenue, um, potential rule changes, you meet from a competition committee standpoint. Um, This is kind of the, this is the big annual get together for, again, the three big groups, owners, GMs, and coaches. Um, They rotate between Arizona and Florida um, on an every other year basis, you know, try to reach kind of the teams that are in the East and the West accurately. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much what it is. You know, a lot of League wide discussions towards, you know, whether it's international games or again, competition committee stuff. Uh, Then you have quarterly league meetings throughout the year where typically the only representation at those are the owners. Um, You know, those happen even during the season, and obviously you wouldn't want your GM and your head coach um, to be attending those. We, We talked about the Lamar Jackson stuff a little bit earlier. What was your biggest takeaway, Jake, from what they had to say yesterday?
1: I, I tend to agree with you about Lamar Jackson and the fact that it, it feels like Baltimore is basically saying, yeah, we we might have a player that is talking about wanting to be traded, but we have every intention of figuring this out and moving forward with him. So I think that probably settles itself out. I also think, based on what you were saying, which I think is totally astute, I, you know, the one thing about the Colts – Kevin I think that we became conditioned as fans and media around here under Bill Pullian to just assume that everything was smoke and mirrors and that they were never going to be up front and I think Chris Ballard for the most part is pretty direct with what I think Chris Ballard's frustration a lot of times probably which come off as surly and arrogant But I think a lot of his frustration is a lot of times he sits up there and he's like, look, guys, you're trying to twist a million ways what I'm saying. I'm telling you this is exactly what I think. And I think sometimes he's more transparent than we give him credit. And so in this situation, when Jim Irsay comes out and talks about like his his hesitation with or his opposition to guaranteed contracts, that kind of answers that riddle right there, doesn't it?
2: I guess the other question is Does Lamar Jackson really want a guaranteed contract and will he get that? You know, I think that would be kind of the next step. Yeah,
1: that, I mean, I hate to say it this way, Kevin. That's problems, the wrong word. That's Baltimore's issue to figure out, right? Uh, or, or probably Lamar's issue to
2: figure yeah, out, yeah. considering, you know, what type of market he wants to generate here. Um, you know, Ballard did have a comment yesterday and related to, and again, shout out to Zach Kiefer, Stephen Holder, Jolie Erickson, the Colts.com crew um, out there at the league owners' meetings in that the reason why the Colts did not trade up to the number one pick is they didn't feel like they were there yet in their evaluation process to where a guy had separated themself, himself um, and, and was worthy of such a big-time move. Ballard said, we're still doing our work. He also threw in there. Feels like there's enough depth at quarterback in this draft. Again, insert your smokescreen comment here if you feel that. Um Jake, do you find it interesting at all that Carolina, who also has a new head coach, felt like they had gotten enough conviction about trading up to number 1, whereas the Colts with a new head coach weren't there yet?
1: Explain what you mean by enough conviction.
2: So basically, Ballard said they didn't have conviction that there has been a quarterback that separated himself. Right. But basically, they hadn't done enough homework yet on this class. Carolina also has a new head coach. And they have a retaining general manager. It's very similar to what the Colts have from a Ballard is still here, new head coach standpoint. So Carolina, who also is, you know, they did hire Frank Reich earlier than Shane Steichen, but they felt enough, whatever you want to call it, conviction's a word, I guess, that I used, to go ahead and trade up to number 1. And if you read their comments, they make it clear that they're kind of getting up to number 1 and they're still going to do homework. And, And that's, kind of the side where I would tend to agree with of you you can't wait till you come to the final decision and then think that you're just going to be able to move up. Like you almost have to get up there and then once you're up there you continue to do your homework, you finalize and cross your T's and dot your I's etc. and hopefully you're swayed by one of those QBs or if not, then you can try to maneuver and trade down again it's interesting how Carolina Felt that, but the Colts did not.
1: True or false? Frank Reich, while the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, lobbied to his bosses or put it out there who he thought would be a quarterback for the franchise moving forward that would be a multi-year quarterback in Carson Wentz.
2: And that Frank Reich said that to to Chris Bauer and Jim Mersa, Correct. True.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah. Okay. True or false, that blew up on him? It did, yeah, undoubtedly. True or false, that may have heavily cost him his job? Certainly. Okay. So true or false, therefore, Frank Reich, whether he realizes it even consciously or not, says, I am going to show to Indianapolis that, yes, in fact, I do have the ability to to select a quarterback that has talent and I do have the ability to I do have the eye to know a great quarterback when I see one and if they want to fire me because they feel that I erred in that decision making I'll just go ahead and show them by taking the one they actually might have wanted Yeah, I don't think Frank's got that sort of ego. Um, Again, I'm not saying consciously, but but I I would think that motivates you a little bit subconsciously. Yeah,
2: maybe a little bit. Again, I think Frank is pretty uniquely wired in that he just doesn't think in that realm. And obviously, Carolina's GM Scott Fitter is going to have a huge say in what they do as well. You don't make a move from nine to one just because you hire a new head coach. Like you have some strong, strong belief from your general manager in whatever you know, choice that you're going to make. But it's, it's interesting to me the two differences in the organizations and how they've approached this. And that the Colts were going to sit back and say, yeah, we're not going to make a move like that until we know there's a guy in this class. Whereas Carolina says, we can't afford to wait for that answer. We'll go ahead and get ahead of it. We'll go ahead and make the move now. And eventually, we will get there. Um, it, it's a little bit kind of like the Colts' approach to free agency. They oftentimes say, yeah, we're not going to be super proactive. We'll be more reactive. Well, I, I, I think you've got to be pretty proactive in personnel moves. And if you get to the end of March or whatever, the second week of April, and now all of a sudden if you're the Colts and you're like, man, C.J. Stroud really blew us away in that, in that top 30 visit. He is clearly the best quarterback in this class. Now you're blank out of luck. Right. Because now Carolina's already done that. Right. So I think that is the worry that I had. I thought it was a really interesting answer from Chris Ballard in the proactive nature of Carolina, albeit at a very steep price. I I don't want to act like you know it was just an easy thing for them to do, whereas the Colts are kind of taking the approach of what they've taken many times through free agency and say, no, no, no. We'll just sit back and... We'll go ahead and, at this I, point, Kevin, take the third
1: choice of quarterback. Broken record, I realize, but I'm still going to maintain. And, by the way, thank you to those who pointed out to me that uh, Trailer that plays for Virginia Tech is the niece of former Martinsville star April Trailer, so thanks for letting me bow tie that. I, Kevin, I, I, I'm going to maintain what I've said all along until I hear differently or, or feel differently about it. I think the Colts simply looked on the peripher- or, or on the surface, I should say, at the four quarterbacks that are thought to be one through four in no particular order and determined that the gap one to four was not worth the gap that you would have to give up to move three spots. I, I You know what I mean? I, I think it simply came down to that.
2: Which is interesting because league-wide, it seems like the consensus is there is a big gap between no, I get the top it. two and the next two. Well,
1: but league-wide, though, that de- de- depends on how much flexibility you have of your roster of the pieces to give up and, w- and what your needs are. You know what I mean? The-, the cost of what you would give up to move up is different from one team to the next based on how many assets you already have.
2: Dan says this: Panthers operated like any other franchise that desperately needs a QB. Colts operated like Ballard wants to continue to be the most <laughs> underwhelming GM in the league while somehow keeping his job.
1: Telling you truth to that. I think that Ballard knows that when you select a quarterback, the clock begins, and if you, especially if you if you mortgage it and move all the way up to number one and you trade pieces to get that, then there's even more of a pressure on you. You, you, you take the fourth one out there and it doesn't work out, you have a little bit of that flexibility of like, well, but you know, they they were picking fourth, et cetera, et cetera. I,
2: Chris Ballard also mentioned yesterday, Kenny Moore, Ryan Kelly, for the foreseeable future, I see them being Colts. Um, I would think if they are serious about a Lamar Jackson pursuit, they would need to clear cap space. Those two would have been crystal clear candidates in clearing cap space so i think you can kind of read some actions jake and saying this lamar jackson thing we probably should pump the brakes on i I, again i I feel like we have been there but i don't know if everybody's
1: well it's fun for fans to think about i get it right it's fun for fans it is that's hard to say it's fun for fans to discuss but i don't know how realistic it is
2: nate atkins from the Indianapolis star he'll join us next to talk more about the tidbits from the league owners meetings on the other side
5: Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and
0: everything in between. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. And participating McDonald's for a limited time.
5: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
2: We'll get to Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star to talk more about the league's owners', owners meetings, Lamar Jackson, Chris Boward's comments, Jim Irsay, all of that here in just a second. Uh, it's that time of year, though. We are two months away from the Indianapolis 500. Uh, Jake, the Legends Day concert will be Brad Paisley the night before the running of the Indianapolis 500. I think last year was the first year they had moved that over to White River. Yeah, they did it the,
1: uh, and again this year.
2: Yeah, so TCU the TCU Amphitheater, Amphitheater mm-hmm. over there. Um, so it'll be Brad Paisley, pretty well-known country act there. Russell Dickerson and Jackson Dean will cap the day. It's a 7 p.m. show on Saturday, May Twenty seventh,
1: and, and I. By the way, I had heard that the Carb Day Act announcement was imminent. and I have not heard if they've officially made that, so I don't want to say who I heard it is, but I I have not heard yet. And
2: again, Paisley Saturday night that. Carb Day, of course, would be Friday, right? Over inside of uh, turn four. All right, let's head to the Paleo Slickers hotline right now, and again from the star and Nate Atkins joins us. Um, out at the owners' meetings, it is Joel A. Erickson from the Star, Nate making the Pro Day Tour. And let's start there. Nate, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Will Levis and C.J. Stroud, both you were in attendance for last week?
4: Yep, made it to both of those two. It was uh, two of those Pro Days in three days, and then the one we decided to skip out on was Bryce Young just because travel was a little hectic with that one. And just setting the odds, I thought he was probably the least likely of those three to be a Colts option. But, yeah, it's... Been a busy week, and then uh, heading out tomorrow for Anthony Richardson. Okay, first question
1: I would ask is this: So you watched, just to recap, you watched Stroud and Levis, correct? Yes. Okay. If you did not follow the NFL, and let's say you did not actively follow college football, but you know, but you have a, a, a knowledge of the game itself. And you just simply went in and watched those two guys with no preconceived notions of what they did last year in college, what the level of, of program they're playing for, etc. Just based on what they did on the field, in your opinion, the more impressive was who?
4: It's still C.J. Stroud, but it was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. You know, C.J. came out there and did something very similar to what he did at the Combine, which is just kind of throw every throw, every level of the field, every type of concept with pretty good consistency, ball placement, accuracy, all the things you kind of hear about him. He showed off a little bit more of, uh, some of the throws on the run in the way that that's kind of making his arm play up in a way that I think has gone underrated in this class where Anthony Richardson and Will Levis have, you know, such incredible arm talents. I think CJ is better than he's gotten credit for. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Will Levis really, really made a good impression too. He, uh, he hit some throws that just uh, – there's a, there's only a few humans on the planet that can throw. I mean, there's one point I saw him, he sort of dropped back in a nine-step drop, sort of drifted in the pocket just to buy enough time for his receiver to get down the field, and lost it 75 yards into the end zone on a dime right in the breadbasket of his receiver. And it's just throws like those that, that you can understand why coaches get uh, – why they get roped in. And, and there's a lot to dissect with Will Levis. Obviously, he's behind these others. Uh, at least behind Bryce Young and CJ Stroud for a reason, not nearly as polished or accomplished. And you saw some of that too. Some of the, you know, he had more incompletions than CJ did, but just the sheer difficulty of throws that he did make. And then I think the way that he explained how much he's trying to work on some of his lower body mechanics and how where he is that, you know, he's not refined, but but what it's going to take to actually get there. I thought he made a big statement there in a way that that I wasn't entirely expecting.
2: Nate, I don't want to undermine Will Levis' physical characteristics because, as you just pointed out, there are a lot. And, and at the same time, I don't want to undermine Anthony Richardson mentally because I, I do think he's wired in a way that would be attractive to a lot of NFL teams. But if you're going to like go for the biggest strength on each, it would be Richardson's just raw physical attributes. And it would, for the most part, I think a lot of people like what Levis had to experience at Kentucky, dealing with some adversity, how he handled that, his willingness to work, all of those things. When you look at it, in both of those situations, almost Levis from the neck up, Richardson, you know his you know combine numbers. Which one do you think would be more attractive to the Colts—the neck up, you know, sort of mental characteristics, or the physical traits of Richardson?
3: I think
4: they'll be tempted with both, but I think uh, just if you bring it down that way, I think Will Levis's body work is a little bit more tempting because if you hear what they lay out and what they really want in a quarterback, of course, everyone would love. Uh, loves, you know, athleticism and and great arm strength and you know and everything else that comes with it. But they always they always bring up the neck up, and that's kind of how Shane Steichen uh, really rose up through this when he was a quarterback at UNLV when he was in high school. Had to p- put on weight just to be able to be a Division one quarterback, and everything for him was obsession with that position and making that work. Uh, Steichen kind of hammers, and hammers that home world.
2: every chance he can get.
4: Yeah, he sure does. It, it, and that's so every single time he brings up the obsession. And what we see with uh, like Jalen Hurts is that he's a great athlete. And there's been so much talk about having a running quarterback. But what really made those two connect was how you know Jalen Hurts wanted to live in the facility and be in there on his off day for 12 hours, and uh, just the, the sheer grind that it takes to kind of make improvements on your game, kind of uh, incrementally and in over time. And, and that's where I think Will Levis has he's just shown more. I, I can't say that that's not Richardson. I'll, try to get a better sense for that this week. But Will Levis, that's absolutely there. And that was kind of the biggest thing that stood out to me from talking to his teammates was just how much he persevered through last year and kind of lifted that up to where Kentucky went 7-6 and six last year. It wasn't as good as they were supposed to be. But when you consider all the you know the talent they did lose the NFL, what they were up against in the SEC, the fact that they had an offensive coordinator who's his third in three years and they fired him by the end of the year, like that could have blown up a lot worse than it did. And all those guys all credited Will Levis for that, you know. And I think when a guy's on his way out the door, uh, the number of players will come back and and just, you know, praise him for that kind of obsession and humility. Uh, It really stood out because it's very easy for Will Levis to just kind of make excuses about his situation or fall back on the measurables and just act like he's good enough. He knows he's not good enough at all these areas, but he also recognizes that the things he went through have prepared him for the NFL where he even talks about going to teams high in the draft. These are not going to be, you know, great teams. These are teams you have to build and he really wanted to be there from the ground floor up, sorta the way he was with the Kentucky program in a way. And I thought that really stood out. You know, Levis,
1: who again, Nate, I'm I'm going to stick with until I hear differently. I I think that's who they're zeroing in on. I really do. But um That said, uh, I'm curious, Levis had talked at the Combine about how big his arm was, right? Um, Sometimes I think guys get in trouble when they have gotten by in their career with the strength of their arm and being able to just basically overpower the football through windows. And therefore, that causes them to have hesitancy of picking up NFL reads and how quickly the gap closes. Did he show touch? Did he show like timing and touch or was it simply the strength of the arm that you were impressed by talking about Levis
4: yeah, He showed more timing and touch than I think I was necessarily anticipating definitely more than he showed at the combine and you know you go back to his college career you know he completed around 65% of his passes the accuracy levels for him actually were pretty good it just was the bad plays are are very bad the sacks and the turnovers and um, the, the ways that he would try and kind of drag that team that was up against it in the SEC, but you know, I thought he, I thought he showed, you know, definitely improving mechanics and improving ball ball placement. There were some misses though, and he he missed a you know fade route down the sideline. He missed a couple just right on the sideline, where, but it was close. It was like situations where his receiver would get one foot in but not two. He is working on on kind of throwing different types of balls that are more catchable rather than. You know, just a constant fastball. I think his receivers at Kentucky weren't always ready for that. The way that you know, if he played with CJ Stroud's receivers at Ohio State, they would have been a little bit more ready for that. But he talks about this stuff constantly. I just was really uh, blown away by his self awareness, and that's kind of how the Kentucky program was built. When you think back to how uh, Mark Stoops got there and pretty much populated that roster with guys from ohio and michigan because he's not going to play the same game as alabama and lsu and just go for their recruits they were going to understand what they were and what they could do and will levis is kind of that too where he talked about at times relying too much on that arm strength and and being able to throw kind of just arm through it when his feet were not right or when he's being chased and now he's had to really improve upon that and again it's tough because these settings you know there's no pass rush there's no actual defense out on the field so it's it's not as adverse as it's going to be, uh but i thought I thought he showed quite a bit of growth in that area, and uh it's, it's definitely a thing he's going to work on and uh, but you still have to wonder about it cause it's it's been five years and uh he's well, he's a fifth year college player, and you know there is question about you know if it's if it's not there yet, can it be there all the way as far as footwork and feel in the pocket but uh, he's absolutely worked at it, and I, I do think he showed some
2: strides. Yeah, Nate Atkins is with us here from the Indianapolis Star. Um, shifting gears to where your colleague is right now, Joel Erickson. Um, I think he got the better uh, pick of the litter here going to the owners' meetings in, in Arizona. But uh, it's a lot of work out there, and Jim Ursay spoke last night, Nate, and um, it almost seemed like, in a way, Ursay kind of created this whole Lamar Jackson Colts chatter as a bit of a moot point in that. He was very adamant that guaranteed contracts are nothing he wants any part of and doesn't think the NFL should be part of that. Um, we'll see if Lamar's demands continue to be that. But then when you toss in the draft compensation you would have to send to Baltimore on top of the, the contract you'd be handing him, Ursay appeared to be pretty against that sort of idea. Did you get a similar impression?
4: Yeah, it was interesting is that Ursay did kind of pour cold water on it, and yet when Chris Ballard talked, you know, I thought he talked a little bit more glowingly about it. You know, we've had so many teams come out and just say that they're not in the Lamar Jackson hunt, and that is definitely not what Chris Ballard said. Uh, but it does sound like something that they have to think through the so many different layers to it, that it is more than just, uh, you know, it, it is more than just the contract. It is more than just the draft compensation. It's, it's the number of guarantees that's trying to figure out how much to guarantee for a player who, while electric, has missed ten games the past two years? And trying to figure out how much of you know is that going to be in your control? Can you kind of transition him to a safer style of football under Shane Steichen, who they clearly uh, are putting a lot on at that position to build an offense around him, like he did Jalen Hurts? And can you can you combine that with Jonathan Taylor and you know better receivers, at least in Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce and? a bit more of a pass-heavy approach. Can you lessen these injuries? I think that's the best shot that they have. At least I would say if Chris Ballard is interested in this, uh, it's got to be this pitch to Lamar to sort of uh, make the Colts a more attractive destination and get him down from some of the guarantees about the contract. You know, If you could talk him into signing a three-year deal that gets him a lot of money but takes a little bit of a leap of faith as far as uh, the guarantees are concerned to where if he can prove he's durable and if this works, Another deal at the age of twenty nine. I think that's the one route that that could make this feasible, and that uh, that Jim ursay would get more on board with. But we know for a while now, Jim ursay has been worn down by by always looking for the next veteran option. He was obviously very hurt by the way that things went at the end with Andrew Luck, where you have a Hall of Fame type of talent at quarterback, and injuries did him away. So there's a lot of reason to believe that this would this option would scare him too. Uh, but You know they they have to look into it and and weigh it out right now because they're just they're not in control of how this quarterback uh, draft is going to go. They have to really love a couple of guys in here to feel like uh, that they're they're going to be able to answer it this year, or or find another bold route. And uh, the other bold routes out there, Lamar Jackson's the one kind of right in front of them, and someone's going to step up and and become that team for Lamar. I think, and that's why the Colts, as people think through it just on paper, they could be that team. But it's going to take this kind of compromise between Jim Irsay and Lamar Jackson on the on the contract and the guarantees for that to actually be realistic.
1: I'm going to ask a question for either one of you guys. Um, it was asked to me, and I think it's a good question. I think people find it interesting. At the owners' meetings, when the owners are all in a room, you walk in and it's got you know there's all the tables. Who's the owner that Jim Irsay is most likely to sit down with? Like which one? I'm sure all of these guys have their guys or gals have the owner that they're the friendliest with or that they just seem to bond with the most? Kevin, I'll, I'll start with you, I guess.
2: Yeah, I'd say a lot of those names we mentioned earlier, Jake, you know, the Roonies, the Hunts, those the Maras, the the long tenured owners in the NFL. I mean, Jim Mersey is, you know, they 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 came to my wedding. All of those things, I, I would tend to think those would be the people. I don't believe him and Daniel Snyder are going to sit at the That's table probably together. Probably a mm-hmm. fair
1: statement. Yes, yeah. that one would seem to make sense.
2: Nate, anybody else you, you would you could guess on the Ursay front? It just seems like such a you know he he really wants to be this steward for NFL ownership
3: yeah
4: for sure, and I think if if you want to be that, then Jerry Jones is always on that list, especially as we talk about long time owners and kind of guys who help steer the future of the league. Jimmer says all about that, so I think any of those kind of guys who are or owners who are really entrenched in history and in the uh the power of the league that's kind of where he'd go
2: nate i I do want to bring up something that I thought you um I don't know if you wrote a piece on it, but I saw you were tweeting about it late last week, if you look at the draft order right now, and again, Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Stars is with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. It's Carolina 1, it's Houston 2, it's Arizona 3, it's Indy 4. Let's just say that's the draft order a month from, hell, I think it's a month from today, maybe a month from yesterday, and quarterbacks go to Carolina, Houston, and Indy. With how those three teams have operated this offseason, how would you kind of assess how each one has tried to support or build around what seems to be a rather inevitable quarterback selection for each of the three teams.
4: Yeah, it's interesting because those are the three teams that coming in this year felt like most likely almost certainties to go and draft a quarterback. But two of them have almost sort of leaned more into that. Even, you know, the fact that Houston is at number two and you know, there's no hiding the fact that they love Bryce young. And so they've gone out and done some things that set up an environment for a young quarterback, like, obviously getting a coach that that people are excited about, but locking up Laramie Tunzel and uh, signing Dalton Schultz, the tight end uh, for the Cowboys, they did a few things that kind of set up a quarterback to step into that situation and and felt good at where they were. And then Carolina obviously has gone all the way in by trading up to number one, even trading away a receiver like DJ Moore in order to do it and then replace him with with other talent out there like Adam Thielen and, and Miles Sanders and now DJ Chark. They've kind of thrown everything at creating an environment for a young passer, even if it means you know really doubling money this year and running up you know, your cap costs this year and obviously trading away picks for this year. They made it all about they're not missing on their quarterback choice and they're not missing on having some talent around him, whereas I think Indianapolis is very far in the other way is that they feel like this is kind of a longer process to get the roster in that place and without really knowing who that quarterback's going to be how soon he's going to need to step on the field. They just haven't kind of set everything else up yet. They haven't gone out and gotten um, really any veteran starters. They got Isaiah McKenzie from the Bills to play slot receiver. That's it as far as guys around the quarterback who would come in and help this thing out. And so it just feels like almost a – a patient approach or maybe you take a cautious approach from them by just not knowing who that quarterback's gonna be and exactly what he needs yet.
2: Nate last one for me and appreciate the time th- this morning. Let's put quarterback number one on the need list. Right now, what would be two, three, and four on your Colts need list.
4: I think cornerback has to be number two. You know, that's things have just changed in an interesting way this offseason season when Stefan Gilmore gets traded to the Cowboys. And then you look around, and Isaiah Rogers is in contract year, Kenny Moore is in a contract year, and they don't really have another option at the outside corner spot, and it's such a premium position. So that one has definitely risen to number two for me. And beyond that, I think it, I think it's kind of pretty close between, like I think they need a starting right guard for sure. So in terms of you, you've got to go out and find a starter, uh, right guard is, is one spot. And then I think slot receiver still, kind of sits in that, that mode where it's 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 not the number one or two receiver necessarily. You did sign Isaiah McKenzie, but just what we're talking about, if you're going to bring in a rookie quarterback and and you got to give him support and guys that he can really trust, and they definitely need numbers there. Um, so you can talk yourself into what they have at you know, left tackle or tight end, at least guys to give an audition to to see if they can hold that job this year. But I think right guard and slot receiver are positions where they – definitely have to add some more to give their rookie a chance
1: it's so funny to me because Nate I agree with you on corner and then I also look at it and I think and it almost feels like corner is a situation of need that they created and and I'm not just talking the Gilmore trade but like it just you know what I mean like it's not a it's not a position seemingly that the last few years that they've really stockpiled and, and and grown talent am I am I off base
4: no, you're on point with that because Isaiah Rodgers is the one. Oh, there's two starters they have currently in those three spots and one of them with a the six-round pick they drafted Isaiah Rodgers' senior to be a kick returner who sort of surprised them as a corner, but he's entering a contract year and yeah, they traded away Rocky Sin last year, brought in Stephon Gilmore, but that ended up being a one-year experiment and it just, they haven't been finding replacements for them yet or drafting guys that really are developmental to, to you know, draft assets to take a spot that, that tends to need high assets to to fill. I mean, a guy like Dallas Flowers is a UDFA who, who impressed as a kick returner and got some snaps late in the year. But like that, you, you don't sign a UDFA corner with the idea of making him the starter eventually. So suddenly, uh, that need has come very very big on them in a way that you know you think about Chris Ballard. He doesn't love to necessarily spend up and hit uh, hit the high high market prices and free agency at certain positions where. The market keeps going up. Cornerback's one of those, so they're kind of in a weird spot here where now all of a sudden they, they really need to draft guys because that hasn't been a focus the past couple of years.
2: Yeah, obviously Quincy Wilson, a huge miss. The trade of Rock you've seen. They have had that veteran run with some decent success. It looks like that stopped. I mean, they had like the Pierre de, pier to to Xavier Rhodes, to Stephon Gilmore. But like you said, Nate, if they're going to go play tomorrow, it's Isaiah Rodgers, an undrafted free agent Dallas Flowers and Kenny Moore as their three Corners. Okay, Anthony Richardson Pro Day is Thursday. Is that right? Yep. All right. He will be in Gainesville with all your coverage down there. Nate, safe travels. Enjoy the Florida weather, and uh we'll talk to you soon. Yeah.
0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba da ba ba ba. participating McDonald's for a limited time.
5: Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Thanks for having me.
1: Jake Query. Well, hold on a second. Jeez. Whoa. You are listening to Kevin oh, Inquiry 5 and query on 93.5 and one zero seven five. The fan your first day on radio, let the rejoinder hit, and then you're good to go. Well, typically, I'm used to somebody hitting the rejoinder with uh, a little you bit gotta more. Of give it a little energy. more
2: than five seconds, my friend. Let it breathe. Let it breathe. First and fifteen here. <laughs> yeah. <please. All laughs> well, stuck. here's
1: the thing. Issue me a technical foul. Fine as it may be, right now, That's if it one. was my sixteenth technical, one would think that that means that I'm suspended for a game. But apparently, if you look at Doncic, you get the guys to talk about it all morning long, and then <laughs> you go out and you play anyway. So Jeremiah Johnson joins us now after the Pacers game last night with the Dallas Mavericks. Jeremiah, of course, on the television broadcast with Valley Sports. JJ, we talked yesterday all day that there was anticipation that Luka would be sitting out yesterday's game for that reason. Obviously, either we were ill-informed or something was rescinded. Is that right?
3: The technical foul was rescinded, and I'm like you. I was a little surprised at that. The pool report after the game in Charlotte, and the referee looked at the video and backed up the technical foul. so it's a little surprising to me that the NBA would um, turn around then and say no, it was not a technical, but Rick Carlisle was not surprised, and he actually brought up that this there's precedent for this, that Luka Doncic has had technicals rescinded the last few seasons so uh you know i am a little surprised i do see the point that you know people come to see these guys and this is an important game however rules are rules so i kind of have a tough time um justifying the rescinded technical but that's exactly what happened
2: jj i know people don't necessarily enter the building to see the people coach is the same rule in effect for head coaches because i you know, heard Rick Carlisle mention last night that he leads the league in techs for coaches.
3: Yeah, That's a good question. It was brought up, and I did not uh, have the chance to go research it. It could be the case, but I don't. He's not close to 16. so uh, yeah, I think you said in he said he's 11. League and, is he at 11? Wow. I think he said did that, Google yeah. that, And it's tough to find that. And Pat Boyle and I were actually talking about that. And I think the NBA. Uh, media site has tracking, but they only update it once a week. So if he's at 11, I I think he's okay. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I'm not aware you got a stumper there. We've never really had to encounter that situation. And I'm surprised, I'll I'll just say this, I'm surprised he leads the league in technicals because I don't picture him as someone who is constantly getting after the referees like some other coaches that uh, will remain unnamed. But I think he does... Uh, pick his his moments and actually that's what Jason Kidd said before the game he has impactful technical goals so maybe there are times that he actually is asking for that and it's hoping to either light a fire under his team or perhaps help get some calls a little bit later so um, I I don't know that we're close to having any suspensions and I unfortunately don't know the answer with 100% certainty if if 16 means the coach has to be suspended the game
2: Kenny's Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. JJ, last night in the starting lineup, the oldest person in that group was Jordan Wara at 24. That's got to be one of the younger starting lineups the Pacers have ever had, right?
3: Oddly enough, I think they were a little bit younger on Saturday in Atlanta because I asked that same question when I found out who was going to be in the starting lineup because even adding Tyrese Halliburton to the mix um, does not make you really that much older. And you had... And Isaiah um, Jackson was uh, starting, yeah. Isaiah Jackson was starting, correct. So I think they were just a little bit younger in the Atlanta game, and that's probably a little bit of what you'll see moving forward. This is the opportunity now, and it's less than two weeks left in the season. We might be about finished showing uh, standings updates because it, it seems pretty much unlikely that the Pacers are going to be able to get into that top 10. And so I guess... That's what fans have been clamoring for, is to see some of these young players. And I I think it's an important distinction to say it's not just that you want to see Isaiah Jackson or Jalen Smith get 30 minutes in a game. It's just more about how they play with certain players, how they can fit defensively into a scheme that you're hoping can carry over or at least make some improvements into next season. So it was a young starting lineup. It was difficult when you look at the other side and you see – uh, Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving, and a desperate team that um, is in win-now mode. And so that was a little bit of the reason probably for the struggles. The Pacers started okay in the first quarter, but after that, uh, it was really all Mavericks.
1: J.J., this is a out of kind of left-field question. But From you? Yeah, I know. It's stunning, I know.
2: <laughs> uh, but very fitting with baseball season.
1: And J.J. might be doing some Cardinals games again this year. Right. Um, <laughs> over the course of the season... When you are sitting courtside, whether it be home or away, give me a player in the NBA that is a star or close to a star that most people would know their name, that you that there was a simple moment or something that you were watching in terms of their courtside demeanor and you actually thought to yourself, that guy seems really professional and really pretty cool and people would probably be surprised by that but they seem to conduct themselves very maturely and professionally, and they seem to really respect the game and the people around them.
3: Um, You know, we had uh, our second straight game against a member of the Holiday family, and we'll have another one coming up on Wednesday, and I'll go right to Drew Holiday, who is the, you know, the best player, the most accomplished player of that family, and I have a lot of respect, obviously, for Justin, for the time he spent and what he meant, but um, Drew Holiday if you just watch him you know sometimes when I'm watching my son play I can be guilty of just focusing on one player but if you do that with the Bucks and you just watch what he does there are certain things that he'll do uh, maybe there's there's a player from the other team that's on the floor and he'll pick them up or something he'll do to encourage his own teammate if there's a bad play and then what you see is the respect and admiration that opponents have for him I mean you're always going to see guys after games you know find their former teammate or find someone they used to play with. But uh, to a man, I think that Drew Holiday probably has as much respect around the league as anyone. And I saw something pass through Twitter uh, yesterday, and I don't know how this came about, but I think it was a Detroit media person that had said that – Dwayne Casey said that Drew Holiday sent him a thank you card for voting him into the All-Star game. And I did not know the coach's votes were public, but I do know that Rick Carlisle says he always – keeps his votes private, but he did say before a Bucs game, he wanted to put it out there that he was a no-brainer and he wanted to make sure that Drew Holiday was on his list. So there are just a couple of stories from things I've seen and then things I've seen and heard from others. Uh, I think he he deserves to be high on the list, and I really think that the Bucks don't have that championship without Drew Holiday. So uh, on the court, off the court, for so many reasons, I think he fits in that category. From your out-of-left-field question.
1: Okay, married to the Ben Davis legend, Lauren Cheney. That's right. Um, Okay, the other question would be the Vern Fleming Award. And by that, I mean this. One of my favorite trivia questions about Vern Fleming is that he held, maybe he still does, the record for most minutes played in the NBA without ever having received a technical foul. Vern Fleming, just a quiet guy, went about his job, just did it. Give me a superstar, this might be harder to do, that you have watched and then all of a sudden one day – Jeremiah, it dawned on you, you know, I don't think I've ever seen that guy squawk at anything.
3: Would there be one? Well, I think this was discussed a few years ago, and it was probably Mike Conley, right? I don't think he's had a technical, or maybe he got one at some point in the last couple of seasons, and it was his first. And so he probably, uh, for your out-of-right-field question, I'm going to answer Mike Conley, and I think that says a lot about uh, his upbringing, you know, the attention that he received, but how important it was to... You know, just play the game and kind of keep your head down. So Mike Conley probably is the answer to that question. And he also would probably be a good a good person to answer the first question because I think Mike Conley and Drew Holiday, they have some similar qualities in terms of uh, maybe not the flashiest uh, borderline all-stars throughout their career, trying to impact winning, having long careers. Um, and I never have seen Mike Conley question an official either. And I've seen him play in high school, obviously, up, up close and personal. Saw him a little bit from afar, obviously, watching uh, those Ohio State teams, and uh, now in the NBA. I, I've never seen him argue, and I have a lot of respect for that because uh, sometimes the guy, I understand you're going to be frustrated at times with calls, but it can get a little out of hand, and I do think it's worth you know showing appreciation for someone like Mike Conley who, who does not.
2: He's Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports, as we mentioned leading into the break, a near-McDonald's All-American from his days at Peru. Uh, he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Any McDonald's All-Americans from the state of Indiana, your high school graduating class, JJ?
3: It's uh, a good question. I think was Jerron Cornell uh, borderline or maybe a, an All-American. I was 1996. Okay, Matt, you know stand
1: by. Did? He was a good college player. I know that. We'll be pulling up the 96 roster momentarily. Hang on.
3: I think Luke Recker was was 97, so he would have been just past uh, my class.
1: So,
2: Jason Gardner another year or two after you?
1: Uh, Here we go. The 1996 uh, McDonald's All-American list. Let's see if there's anybody from the state of Indiana on it uh you have well kobe bryant richard hamilton stephen jackson this is a good one jermaine o'neal tim thomas nate james you got a great class loaded uh ed coda yeah, that's why I no wonder it. jj just missed it jason collier the late jason collier mateen cleaves mike bibby Corey benjamin lauren woods man lester earl yeah you got a good class but no nobody from indiana
3: well, what they would do, and they'd give a, a pat on the back, honorable mention certificate if you were nominated for the McDonald's All-American right. game. And so they would often present that before a game. And someone from my class at Peru, Jimmy Metcalf, who actually started his college career, there's a little tie to this week, at Florida Atlantic, he was nominated, I remember, for the McDonald's All-American game. But I think that's a little bit of a longer list. And unfortunately, I was – shut out of that as well
1: now you weren't the mascot at peru you were the
3: mascot at ball state right come on now i i didn't i didn't transition to uh to the mascot until college what, I was what, what's, low post player what's the, the name of the tiger
1: is it tony the tiger in peru pete the tiger
3: the Bengal tiger
1: just the Bengal tiger that's the best you guys could come up with <laughs> I mean, he doesn't, doesn't even Save have a name
2: creative things for the circus. <laughs>
1: I guess, right? <laughs> now, he's not a caged tiger, is he? Because
3: you guys cage all the others for the circus deal, right? Yeah, we never had live animals at, at the basketball or football games. We had a, a regular mascot that you're familiar with, and then we had a stuffed tiger that would uh, sit at, at midcourt during warm-ups. But, now, now you uh, don't I mean, don't remember any specific name. It, it was just the, the Bengal tiger. When that you say I
1: stuffed tiger, we don't mean taxidermy. We mean like from Kitten Caboodle, right?
3: Correct. Okay. Uh, you know, Maslin, know. I'm Maslin that High School sure.
1: in Ohio, North Central High School, we went and played Maslin High School in football and we we walk into the stadium. I was, of course, the radio guy, I was not the player, but we we walk in the stadium and they had a live tiger in a cage. I love that. I mean, you feel bad for the tiger once you get older and realize what's going on. But those those people ain't messing around, JJ. They ain't tiger something to do every Friday night. They're not doing the stuffed animal Peru deal, right? <laughs> I mean, they're Ohio football is a little different. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, J- if
3: you want to see a real tiger, come to the circus parade in in July, and we have all the the real tigers that you could ask. Well,
2: consider invite accepted. Thank you for that, uh, Buddy Heald missing last night, JJ. He has got to be one of the. I guess he's got to be one of the more durable guys in the NBA. I was shocked to see that.
3: I was shocked as well. I know it probably was disappointing for Buddy. And I think seven NBA seasons on pace for his fifth with at least 80 games played. But then if you dig in a little bit, the two that he did not play 80 games... No one played 80 games with a shortened uh, COVID season and then the season after. And I, we have to go through and, and double-check, but it, we were texting yesterday. Ary thought it was just the fourth game he has missed in his entire NBA career. He's been traded mid-season a couple of times, so you have to kind of put the two uh, two schedules together and just make sure there were no games missed for any reason other than trades. But that's that's remarkable. I think it's a great... Um, you know, sh- sign of how much durability and being available means to Buddy Hield, and I do know that. You know, some were saying, "Well, he was out of the starting lineup the last couple of games, hoping that was not anything." And Rick Carlisle was pretty clear after the game in Atlanta that he went up to Buddy. They had a conversation about trying some different rotations, and he was, you know, fully on board with coming off the bench. So hopefully, we'll see Buddy. I, I know he will not be in favor of missing any games if he has any say in it uh, over the final six. So, um, you know, durability and availability is something that this franchise is valuing, and that's another reason why you have to really appreciate what Buddy does.
1: Give me the two players, Jeremiah, that are going to look back on this season with Indiana and say to themselves, you know, I just feel like maybe I missed some opportunity to take advantage. The the minutes were there. It was a a year where everything was assessed, and – I just, it, I fell short of probably what I wanted to do.
3: Well, it's tough because if you go into an off season and they'll have their exit interviews when the season concludes, they're always going to be, you know, this is what went well, this is what I need to improve on. So um, a missed opportunity is an opportunity to work harder in the summer and perhaps, you know, have that opportunity taken advantage of in the next season. I think even Chris Duarte, if you asked him um, if this second season in the NBA went the way he had hoped, he would, he would say no. And the injury that he had, was impactful and then he had some opportunities but when you come back after being gone for i mean, it was almost two months that he was out with that ankle injury and then you come back and you have to get into the flow of things and then the team was really playing well at that point it's probably um, the the obvious answer to your question and for the other one it's tough because so many guys have had flashes there have been Maybe times you'd like to see more from uh, you know Jalen Smith, I guess would be the other person I, w- I would look at. i don't I don't think of it as anything that he's missed out on. Maybe he expected just a little bit more when the season started, but I do think figuring out the best role for him is probably something that it's not just on him, it's on the team a little bit as well as he started the season as a four, and now he's really playing more as a five. And and so maybe the way he finished last season, it's not been the, the way that Jalen Smith would have wanted. But I think for both of those players, you know, one in their third season, one in the second season, it's far from, you know, the point of, of being – making any you know big generalizations about who they are and and saying that this they can't be anything because they've got still time in their career i was just asked via text if anybody has
1: told you jeremiah johnson from Bally sports that you sound like tom brady your voice does sound a little bit like tom brady have you ever been told that uh, I had a
3: couple people once say I look like Tom. Brady. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. yeah right. the, the Tom bad.
1: Brady combine photo. Yeah, you know you're right. Yeah. was that in the Charlie <laughs> Cardinal costume or no? <laughs> That's right. Jake thinks he's you know you know gone off the cliff. Yeah, now Tom, yeah. Tom Brady. Now I don't know if you know this or not. He looks like uh, I don't know. He's like a caricature.
3: Yeah, because of his his workout diet and, and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his he's, his hair
1: looks like straw and he's, like, kind of emaciated looking. So if you want to say you look like him, that's cool. You know?
3: <laughs> you got a dimple
1: in your chin, I guess. That's cool.
2: Shocked, well, JJ we both is wore number to 12 on this. the
3: football field, so that's, that's probably where the similarities have to end.
2: JJ, you brought up Florida Atlantic earlier. I know you were on the road with Butler during those national title runs. We had FAU's radio announcer on earlier
3: uh, I guess yesterday
2: would have been I actually. I
3: heard about yesterday. That was a good interview.
2: Yeah, thank you. He, he had some great energy, great stories. And I. it seems like the historical nature of the two programs would be probably the biggest difference. Like Butler had made some Sweet 16s. You know, FAU has not sniffed anything like that. Butler had a lottery pick in Gordon Hayward, at least for the first run. You know, FAU doesn't have that. Do you see anything, similarities, differences, anything that, you know, has kind of jumped out to you about their run and, and what you recall from Butler?
3: I have to, you know, give credit to Butler for doing it over two years. But the second season of Butler as a, you know, nine seed, and that's the same seed as Florida Atlantic. I think there maybe are some similarities. Now the difference, Florida Atlantic didn't have to then knock off a one seed; they had to beat a sixteen seed, but they still had to to play some really good games, knock off, you know good teams in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. But I I would say there are some similarities and the one that I'll point to, and it's probably not fair to Dusty May to make these comparisons right now, but don't you think there's a little bit of Brad Stevens and Dusty May, just the way they carry themselves, some of that background from the state of Indiana and, and Indiana ties to the coaching staff as well. So it's not a stretch to make that comparison and that run specifically the 2011 Butler team I think compares a little bit to this Florida Atlantic team and you know what's also similar is that team from Butler got to play VCU in the national semifinal even though San Diego State is a higher seed than what VCU was then it does feel like it's set up for Florida Atlantic to perhaps be that Cinderella team to make the national championship game and that's what was so special to me about Butler not just once but twice to to be on championship Monday night Consecutive seasons. It's something that I'm not sure that we'll ever see again from a team from that conference or that level of conference. And that's where Florida Atlantic is coming into this with some similarities. And when the season started, no one really expected that second Butler team. I think the first year, fine, you had those expectations. You had a really good group back. But when you lost Gordon Hayward, no one thought Butler was going to be in the final four of the championship game to get the nine seed, to get there. Um, that's that's similar to this Florida Atlantic team. And I think I'll, I'll be rooting for the Owls this weekend.
1: FAU's probably one more deep tournament run away from getting absorbed into the ACC with the next conference alignment. I say that somewhat flippantly, somewhat seriously. Jeremiah, before we let you go, uh, somebody on Twitter points this out. The Creighton Blue Jay apparently was ru- running around on a unicycle, riding a unicycle at uh, the NCAA tournament and then wanted to know if you ever did that as Charlie Cardinal. I, I, it seems like your efforts were very lame compared to that.
3: Wow. Yes. Really? You're saying I was lame. I mean, I'm mean, i not saying you you're lame. I'm saying
1: compared stuff. to riding a unicycle like that fellow I see riding around Brawnerpool all over the place on a unicycle,
3: right? Yeah, well, I, I did not ride a unicycle as Charlie Cardinal, but I'll challenge that Blue Jay to a juggling contest or a half-court shooting contest what any day of the week. Let's the go! You know, those Blue are Jays, my two specialties. Blue Jays around the See a are, red
1: panda are very mean. Just saying. <laughs>
2: now, JJ, when you mentioned Dusty May and Brad Stevens, you know you just sent everybody to a
3: com message board right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I tell you. They're already there. The too. IU fan base, yeah. <laughs> They've got a good one right now. Enjoy what you've got. I, I think that they need to uh, relax just a little bit. Maybe sometime down the road, one of those two men will coach IU, but uh, we'll see. You know that April
1: Trailer from Martinsville we were talking about? Jeremiah, you remember, was she Miss Basketball, April Trailer?
3: That sounds right. I can't say with 100, 100% certainty. If
1: she'd, have, if she'd have married Dusty May, she'd be April May. Why am I thinking April McDivitt? April McDivitt was Connorsville, right? Yes. That's the name of Thought. And on I believe the head. didn't she marry Ed Schilling? Played for Pat Summit, was that right?
3: Yes. That is correct. She was a former uh Indiana fever assistant for a season. Oh,
2: I saw the uh, new Fever head coach did the uh, rev up last
3: night, right? That is correct. This is an exciting time. You know, I was talking to my son about that. We're we're all over the map here for this segment, but uh it's watching the women's final four, it's crazy to think that uh, the number one draft pick goes to the Fever, and whoever they select, which it seems somewhat obvious right now, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, will be in a Fever uniform in two months. Uh, it's the way the WNBA and the women's college season goes back to back, so we'll have good reason to pay close attention to the Fever uh, very shortly. Wait, Start so I, a lot I, of Clark bars.
2: I need to look at my WNBA mock drafts. Why am I not seeing this as like a foregone conclusion? She's the number one pick. What? What am I missing here? Aaliyah Boston from South Carolina.
3: That's what I assumed in the fall. I hadn't been tracking any of the, the mock drafts over the course of the season, but I was assuming that was still the case. But I don't want to speak speak for anyone with the organization, so we'll have to see what happens. But that was my uh, thought as
1: well. What's that? Up, they don't have a WNBA tankathon. thon she, she not eligible?
2: ESPN.com right here. I'm looking at a mock draft. She's nowhere to be found in she? the first round. We're talking about Caitlin Clark of yeah, I just What, assumed, what year I don't know. I just assumed she was out of eligibility no, or wouldn't.
3: Okay. The IU, Grace yeah, Burton. Caitlin Clark know. is not eligible, but Aaliyah Boston is.
2: Got but, it, got it, got it, got it, got it. So they yeah. will not get Caitlin Clark this year. Oh, I, I thought
3: that's who we were talking about. Okay.
2: All right, JJ. Oh, no. uh, we'll uh, see you on uh, the telecast Wednesday. Thank you.
3: <laughs> Any other uh, Twitter questions? It feels like my, my interviews generated some talking points that's from we, your... F- that's what we do on this program. Well, we got a lot
2: of Valley Sports questions. We're going to hold off on those, though, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, uh-huh, looking out for your best interest. Uh, Are you doing baseball okay. th- th- this summer? I guess on along those lines?
3: I don't have any scheduled, but I'm, I'm open uh, if the Cardinals or Royals need me, so uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. You could juggle as Fred Bird. Yeah.
2: Yeah, a hell of a 7th inning stretch there with JJ. Uh, Jeremiah
3: Johnson, thank you. Okay, see ya.
0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participating McDonald's for a limited time.